we're in our topic today about the God who remembers. How many glad you got a God who remembers? He is, uh, our prayers are calling God to remember. And it's important that we remember in our prayers, we're not insulting God and saying, God, you, what's wrong with you? We're, this is part of what we do when we pray. We're saying, God, remember your promises toward me. How many have some things that haven't quite come to pass yet besides me? And you're like, God, bring them back to memory. It's not an insult. He doesn't have Alzheimer's. He's good. He knows what he's doing, but it's in our prayer time. We're saying, Lord, I just pull down what you said. Remember us. And I like what Dennis Prager says. He says, and he talks about the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And he describes a God as remembering. And it does not mean God is previously forgotten. It means God has decided to act. So that's why we pray. We say, Lord, remember my healing. Remember my breakthrough. Remember my prayers that have gone before you for my children. I thank you for what you're going to do. And there's such authority and power in that. And if you've ever studied about in prayer about the three heavens, how many have ever studied the three heavens in prayer before? We need to do a teaching on the three heavens. Okay, some of you all have. Um, I've wrote about that extensively in my book, Disturbing the Presence. But knowing that there is power when we pray. The earth is the first heaven. Paul said he went to the third heaven. You know, if there's three heavens, there must be a second and a first, correct? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he went to the third heaven. That's where God is. That's where the throne is. The Bible says in Psalm 84, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So the moment you pray, look at this. The moment you pray, God releases what you're praying for. But it's got to descend through the second heaven, and that's where there's warfare. There's angels and demons warring for your prayer and hindering your prayer. You can see this in the book of Daniel. When Daniel prays, right? Daniel prays, and God said, the moment you prayed, I answered you. But I was withheld in the second heavens. I was withheld in the heavenlies for 21 days. And finally, there was enough warfare that his answer got broken through. How many know your prayers are on their way? But you got to be faithful and pray and continue and say, God, you will remember me and not give up. So we oftentimes think, well, God just doesn't want to give it to me. No, he's released it the moment that you pray. So we have three things I want to touch on today about how God and us, we need to be recalling things. How many have ever heard of recalls before? They're oftentimes bad, right? You get your car recalled or your tires recalled or your medicine recalled. And what's happening when you do a recall, recalls usually mean something is defective and the maker is attempting to fix or resolve the problem. So it's not just mentioning something, but it's actually there's an expectation on this recall. How I many know we need to have expectations when we're recalling his promises and his mercy and his qualities in our life? So the Lord has equipped us with this thing called memory. Memory is a gift. You've been given with a memory to think about the things of God, to remember about the things of God. And as we talked about last week, it's oftentimes we're so focused going into the future that we forget to go back and to remember his goodness. We need to get where we're going, but if we're continually focused in an anxious way on the future, friend, we're not going to get there. Recall. 
means to bring back into one's mind and to remember. So the first thing I want to mention today is we need to recall his promises. We're going to look at First Peter, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1. This is one of my favorite verses. In the, in, it, it has changed the way I look at Scripture. But I'm going to read 2 Peter 1.3 says, He has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now that's like a steak right there I just served you. There's so much richness in that Scripture it would, kill the, it would kill 100 sacred cows at once. You understand? That's how potent and powerful this verse is. Let's say it together. Here we go. He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature. How many know that we're called to partake in God's nature? And we get into God's nature. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. You guys agree? You can look at it. It's in your Bible. When we partake in his nature, it's through those very great and precious promises that God has for us. And I was, as I was preparing yesterday, I was like, well, Lord, what's the opposite of a promise? <laughs> and I felt like he was saying the opposite of a promise is a betrayal or a disappointment. And too many of us, instead of living, including myself, instead of living in the promises, we're living in our betrayals and our hurts. You could say amen or ouch. And so we have to learn to step out of our hurts and our betrayal, step into the promises that God has for us. Now, one of my favorite people in the Bible is Joseph. Joseph, you know, look at Joseph's life. Right when Joseph was born, it was at a very significant time in his family. How many know when you were born into your family, something shifted in the heavenly realms? When I was born, something shifted. I believe that. When Joseph was born to Jacob, something shifted in his own dad's mind about where he was and who he was. I believe that we are in a Joseph generation right now. I believe because we are here on the planet, people are beginning to realize, wait a second. We've got to begin to do something differently here. You see, Jacob was under his father-in-law. And how many know the difference between an outlaw and an in-law is outlaws are wanted. But that's terrible. But Jacob was in this place where his, his in-law was oppressing him and stealing from him and robbing from him. And at the moment that Joseph was born, Jacob finally came to his senses and said, I'm not putting up with this anymore. How many know... That just by the presence, just by your birth, Joseph couldn't tell his father, but just by Joseph's very presence, Jacob had a switch in his mind. I believe that's what's happening right now. As many of us begin to step into this Joseph generation, just by us being, people are going to say, wait, we're not putting up with this anymore. This stuff's going to change. It's exactly what happened. Now, interestingly enough, when we talk about trauma and blame and hurt, there's probably very few other people in the Bible like Joseph who was betrayed by his brothers. He was, he was lied about. He was gossiped about. He was accused of a sex crime. Now, how many know everyone accused in the media of a sex crime is not guilty? This is what the enemy uses. There is both significance in the Bible. Joseph was falsely accused of a sex crime. 
But then we look ahead and we see that there was another instance in the Bible of Tamar who was told to be quiet about her sexual abuse. So there's both instances when that happens in the Bible. And oftentimes, somebody that God is about to use greatly is accused of a sex crime. Don't jump into the media's belief all the time. Come on. Pray about it. Say, Lord, Joseph was accused of a sex crime. How many think Joseph was a good guy? Yeah, he was a good guy. So if you look at the pain and the trauma that this man went through and how he was able to carry that and walk through that in his life, it's beautiful. I tell people there's more tears on the pages of my Bible on Genesis chapter 41 and 42 than any other place in the Bible because I've wept when I see how faithful God was to Joseph. And God is, he shows no favor or respect of persons. We can have that same faith, same promises. Now, when Joseph was born, and you guys know I like to do the interpretation of names, the name Joseph means like it sounds like, it sounds like God's taking from you. And some of the challenges you've been through over this last year, 10 years, it felt like God was taking from you. How many have been through some traumatic experiences and they're like, God, you're taking from me. But did you know Joseph, the actual name Joseph means to add to. This is what we have to do. What you thought God was taking from you, it's actually adding to you. Can we just laugh at that for about 10 seconds? <laughs> you see how you just give the devil a headache when you begin to think like that? Because he's so used to you staying in this place of blame and hurt. And we're comfortable in that. And we're, we're programmed that way. We just stay there. And God says, no, you need to step into those very great and precious promises that I have for you. So when we look at trauma, trauma is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. We've all had those experiences. Hopefully, you're having a good experience here today at Gateway Church. Anyway, but Joseph went through those things. You know, struggle, there's a quote Brendan Burchard said, struggle is the celebrated context in which we prove ourselves, better ourselves, and realize ourselves. So when we go through struggle, we have to invite that struggle. Lord, do your purpose through this struggle that I'm going through right now. The struggle doesn't define you. Doesn't have to define you. But what happens often when we go through trauma, trauma shuts down our inner compass. How many have felt like that before, where you go through something traumatic and your inner compass is shut down? Not a good day. And it robs us of the imagination we need to create something better. Are you guys with me this morning? So when we hit this place of trauma, we've got to realize, wait, I've got to bring this trauma and this hurt and this betrayal back to the Lord so I'm not stuck there and I'm living in the promises. Whenever we take communion, always begins with this, on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus took communion and he reminds us to take communion to remember those times when we were betrayed. Because the promises are something that God gives us, great and precious promises. He's promised to us there's hope in those promises but in trauma and hurt and those other, in the pain that we get stuck in, that steals from us and we need to be healed from, healed from those very things. Amen? Amen? 
So not being fully in the, alive in the present keeps us more firmly imprisoned in our past. So you need to find people to help you work through that pain. I'm not telling you as your pastor today just to go, it's all under the blood, I'm well. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Probably not. When you confess your sins to God, he forgives you. The Bible says confess your sins one to another so that you can be healed. So there's a process that you and I need to go through. It's getting with other people and sharing the hurt that you've been through, confessing it, talking about it, so that you can get healed. So we have a lot of forgiven Christians out there, and they, they believe, I've talked about to God, I've forgiven the person who harmed me, hurt me, talked bad about me, but they haven't fully talked with someone about it and processed it. And then it stays there. And how many know... I don't have room in my mental parking space for that stuff anymore. I don't have a room in my mental being anymore, my spiritual being, for infection anymore. I've got to get that infection healed and taken care of so that I can be everything I need to be for this generation. So we should be the most healed people out there. So don't get into this place of denial. I like what Craig Hill says. He goes, people say... No, that was under the blood, brother. He goes, no, it's under the cork. You've been stuffing that in that bottle every time. You stuff it in there and you put the cork in it. And one day it's just going to. So it's important that we learn how to get out of that place of trauma by recalling his promises. So number two, number one, we recall his promises. Number two, we recall his mercy. Now here we have Joseph. His brothers betray him. They send him off as a slave. They tell his dad he's dead. Not a good day. And he's taken into this place called Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife has the hots for him. She tries to make some moves on him. Joseph says, I'm not doing it. Tells Potiphar, her husband. Potiphar throws him in jail. But God miraculously, after being in jail for over two years, he was in prison for his sex crime, by the way, and he's miraculously brought out. Why? Because he's a dream interpreter. And how many know when Joseph first got in trouble, he got in trouble because he was interpreting his dreams to his brothers. And he was using the gift God had given him, but his own family rejected him. Look at that dreamer. He's, He's crazy. And so many of us, because we've gone through trauma and hurt, we stop using the gift God has given us. Joseph was a dream interpreter. I mean, some of us, come on, we'd be in prison, and, and the baker comes down, and he says, uh, yo, I got a dream. I'm like, mm-mm. I'm not telling you my dream. I'm not, I, interpretation, never done that before. <laughs> right? Because that's what got me in trouble the last time. But instead, no, Joseph continues to use his gift, continues to work as hard as possible in every situation he was in, He didn't become a victim of a situation. And I know there are victims, but can I tell you, we need to be powerful people in this time. We can't live in this victim mentality that woe is me, wasn't fair. Of course it wasn't fair. There's a lot of unfair stuff that happens, and it will continue to happen. But, Lord, you're going to turn this around for good. You're going to turn that around for good. I'm going to go through every day. I'm going to make my declaration. I'm going to pray. I'm going to say, God, you're big. You're good. You've got a better plan for me. It's going to be worth it all. You know, whatever you go through, you have authority over in the future. If you're going through battling sickness right now, keep battling. Your victory's coming. God's going to show you what to do. He's going to give you direction. Joseph continued to use his gifts. You have gifts on your life. You go through trauma, what happens? I'm shutting them down. Don't do that. (laughs) 
How many know Joseph became the most powerful person on the planet? We can learn a lot from Joseph. He didn't stay in trauma. He didn't stay in hurt. But he dealt with it. Can I tell you? Because I don't want to get on the other extreme where we're just saying it's all under the blood. You know, there's some horrible things that some of us have gone through, some very traumatic things that some of us have gone through, most of us have gone through, all of us have gone through, I would say, that we just need to talk about. We need to let go. And if we do that, we process it, we'll get healed. So Joseph's in Egypt. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh makes him the second in command. He's like the vice president, the most power, second most powerful person on the planet. And then God brings him a wife. That's a good thing. He begins to have children. And listen to what happens. So to Joseph in Genesis 41 were born two sons before the year of the famine came. And so Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. And Manasseh means made to forget. I mean, oftentimes in the Bible, they're, they're naming their children about the difficulties they're going through. And so he names his first child. He's processing his pain. It's okay to process your pain. Amen? And it says, Joseph called his name Manasseh, for he said, our God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. So he's processing his pain and his trauma that he went through. And we need to process our pain and our trauma. Second Peter goes on to say this. He says, so devote yourselves to lavishly supplementing your faith with goodness. And to goodness add understanding. And to understanding add the strength of self-control. And to self-control add patient endurance. And to patient endurance add godliness. And to godliness add mercy. And toward your brothers and sisters. And to mercy toward others add unending love. So we see Peter is then telling us to add these things to our lives. This is different than the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? You know, the fruit of the Spirit begins with love and ends with self-control. But what Peter is saying here is he says we need to begin with faith and the result will be love. Brian Simmons, who does the Passion Translation, he said, it is possible to view this passage like an unfolding of faith. Out of your faith will emerge goodness. And out of goodness will emerge understanding of God. And out of understanding of God will emerge inner strength. And out of inner strength will emerge patient endurance. And out of patient endurance will emerge godliness. And out of godliness will emerge mercy towards your brothers and sisters, and out of mercy will emerge love. So there's a process that we're adding to our lives. I would encourage you, when you read these scriptures, to, to not just to read them, but to say, God, what does that mean? What does goodness mean in my life today? And maybe he'll stop you on one. Pastor, I want you... Oh, the Lord doesn't call me pastor, by the way. This is my son, my beloved son, who I love so dearly. You need to work on mercy. Well, Lord, what does mercy look like in my life? Maybe it's patience. Maybe it's stopping and, and paying attention to the one instead of the thousands. And, and there's times when God will speak to you. But I love how Peter is saying, we need to add these things to our life. 
Because sometimes, I, I always teach the fruit of the Spirit, we humble ourselves, God, give me love, give me joy, give me peace, give me all those things that I don't have. But then Second Peter, it's like, let's add to our life. Come on, how many think you could work on that list a little bit? Yeah. Like, Lord, how, what, what do I need to, to add to my life today? And I love what Brian Simmons says. He says, it's also possible to view this as a mathematical equation. How many love math here? Any math freaks here? You love math. All right. Faith plus goodness will equal understanding. Goodness plus understanding will equal inner strength. Understanding plus inner strength will equal patience. Inner strength plus patience will equal godliness. Patience plus godliness will equal mercy. And godliness plus mercy will equal love. Now, go back over these yourselves later because we can't hit on all these things. But as, as a follower of Christ, we need to be increasing in these things in our lives. We can't just float down the lazy river of Christianity, you know, and just float and say, God, whatever you want to do in my life. Let's be intentional. Let's be intentional. When we're dealing with our families or we're dealing with people that are opposed to us, Lord, how do you want me to respond in this moment? And I love what Peter says. He says, he says for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Like we don't want to become unfruitful, amen? We don't want to become near, we don't want to become unfruitful. We don't want to become ineffective. How many know ineffective Christianity went out in the 90s? <laughs> unfruitful Christianity went out in the 90s. We need to be fruitful and effective. And that's what God's calling us to. So Joseph had two sons. The second son is found in Genesis 41-2. And it's the name of my fourth son named Ephraim. Everybody remember Ephraim? Ephraim? You guys remember Ephraim? Remember my son? Come on. Who I love? <laughs> He's doing well, by the way. So Joseph calls his second son Ephraim, which means very fruitful. And so he named his first son Manasseh, which means made to forget. But the second son, he named him Ephraim. Because he says, for our God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So here he's in a difficult place. He's saying, God, I'm going to forget what's happened, the trauma. I'm going to work through that. But Lord, you are making me very fruitful right now in my place of trial. How many are going through a place of trial right now? And you're like, Lord, I'm calling forth fruit in my trial. And this is what 2 Peter 1.3.8 says. And this is... This is where I want you to land today. It says, Peter says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So there's an importance for us to remember. That's why we celebrate communion. Every day we, wor you know, we worship, we're thanking God. I remember what Jesus did. I remembered when I was living in sin and never knowing how to be forgiven. And I realized that through belief and confession that Jesus is Lord, I can be cleaned of my sin. How cool is that? Like, let's remember that so that we're growing. 
We're increasing in these qualities. How many know you're part of Gateway Church? I want to lean into you as your pastor. You need to be increasing in these areas in your life. You need to be growing in these areas. You either grow daily or you will die gradually. So it's important that we look into the scripture that's a mirror. And when we look into the mirror, if I don't look light, right, I smash the mirror. I blame the mirror. I clean the mirror. No, the mirror doesn't need to be cleaned. We need to change. So when you came to God, it's not my responsibility to change his word. The word changes me. I mean, we live in a society now. They want us to change the word of God instead of changing our own lives. So let's look at these qualities and study these things. So the last thing, we recall his promises. We recall his mercy. How many know his mercy is good? How many glad God was merciful? How many glad you serve a merciful God? (laughs) Hallelujah. We could just stay there and do a happy dance this morning for God's mercy. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad he's a God of forgiveness. I'm so glad he loves to forgive. I am so grateful for his mercy today. Hallelujah. So we need to remember his mercy. And the last thing, we need to recall his qualities. 2 Peter 1.10 says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That's a good promise right there. Does anybody want that? Are you all excited this morning in this Presbyterian church this morning? Amen. Come on. Like, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Joseph never fell. Never fell. It's not because he was the best looking or the most talented or he knew all these, you know, Bible scriptures. It's because he practiced these qualities. His his character was mature. And that's what God's calling us as a church. We're called to be mature. We're called to increase in these qualities. Peter says, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Now, there is some scholarly debate about Peter in 2 Peter, 1 and 2 Peter, because most people don't consider Peter doesn't Right. Most of, the, most of the New Testament is not written by them. They used a scribe to write what they were saying. So in First and Second Peter, he had a very intelligent scribe because his scribe wrote some of the most complicated Greek there was. We can assume Peter didn't know Greek, but his scribe knew Greek and knew it very well. So when these letters were written, they're written with extreme beauty. And I believe God used the scribes to help formulate the New Testament. And and Peter here, he is at the end of his life. He is reminding his followers and those who follow Jesus, I want you to remember these things, guys. I want you to bring these things back to memory. Don't forget these things. Remember what God has done and increase in these qualities that are there before you. So there's a couple things I want to mention and Peter mentions this. He says, he, he speaks about reminding you of these qualities. But I have three things that I want to end with this morning. Number one, 
is we need to deprioritize our past hurt. We need to deprioritize our past hurt. Not saying ignore that you've been hurt. Not saying to stuff it, bury it. Saying to deal with it. But don't make it a priority. What Jesus did, it's, how many know it's very easy to stick in our past hurt and our betrayal and all the trauma that we, right? It's so easy. It's just like, that's, that's the easy place to go. But what God's calling to and what Peter is calling us to and through Joseph's example, he's saying, hey, don't make that a priority in your life. Deprioritize what Jesus did for you. Don't make that, when you begin to get back into that place of drama, trauma, and hurt in your life, just give it back to the Lord and say, Lord, how do you want me to handle this as I move forward? Who do you want me to forgive? And how can I be set free from the pain that I'm carrying, the emotional and spiritual pain that I'm carrying? How many think Joseph had to work through that, some of that stuff? Everyone in his family betrayed him. He worked, he did his very best at Potiphar's house. And he got thrown in jail for it. And then he tells, he interprets this guy's dream, and the guy lives, and he forgets him for two years. I'm like, oh, come on, God. What's going on? Uncle, <laughs> right? Like something's got to shift here. But no, God, you're faithful. I'm going to keep using the gifts God has given me. I'm going to keep being obedient I'm going to give my all. You know, Joseph's prison was run so beautifully and so powerfully. I remember Debbie preached on this. That when the baker and the cupbearer came in, and when they weren't happy, he was like, what's wrong with you guys? Now, what prison would the prison, would anybody in the prison go, if somebody's not happy in my prison, something's wrong? Who's happy in prison? But that's how good Joseph's prison was. He was doing things with excellence. And it wasn't living in the past or the hurt like God. He was just being faithful day to day, increasing in those qualities, increasing in character, even though things weren't shifting in his life. Can we do that? God help us. <laughs> but that's what we go after. So we can't make our past a priority. And there's a moment in Joseph's life, that he actually had forgiven all his brothers. When his brothers finally returned, and God said, now's the time for you to be redeemed with your family. How many know God's going to bring redemption to your family? But it's not going to happen overnight. Joseph was silent about, with, with his brothers about issues. Sometimes we just need to be silent and wait for God to say, now is the time. How many, like me, we don't like to wait? When's this trial going to be over, Lord? Joseph waited. Got to learn patience. We got to learn character. And so Joseph, he's forgiven his brothers. He's forgiven his family. He brings all his family out of a famine. He's treating his family really good. Jacob, his father, is about to pass away. And what does Joseph do? Joseph brings his two sons before his father. He brings them before his father. And Joseph, it says this in Genesis 48, 13, it says, And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand, toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. So he has this picture that 
Joseph's father is about to release the blessing over his two children. And Joseph brings in Manasseh first so that Jacob would put his right hand, which is the, the stronger hand and the, the more blessed hand on Manasseh. And he says, here's my firstborn son. Put your hand on him, father. And then here's my secondborn son. He's very, it means very fruitful. Put your left. That's the lesser blessing. This is the lesser, the lesser priority. Manasseh is my priority. And it's powerful because look what Israel does. Jacob does. Joseph's father, he does this. And Israel stretched out his right hand, and he laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Let me tell you what I believe prophetically this means. Joseph is expecting his past to be made the priority and the fruitfulness to be his second priority. But what's Jacob do? He switches. And I believe symbolically what's happening here in the spirit realm is Jacob is saying, listen, I don't want your past to no longer be the strength or the thing you're prioritizing. I want it to be your fruitful future that I want you to put first. And I believe that's what the Lord wants you to do this morning. Because some of us have been allowing our past and our hurt and our betrayal to prioritize our things. I'm not saying we don't deal with it, but it becomes the lesser part of our faith. It becomes the lesser part. It becomes the lesser focus in our life. This is what's happening, I believe, the Lord wants to, us to do. Number two, prioritize your future fruit. <laughs> Everybody say future fruit. Man, can't anybody make these easy? Future fruit. <laughs> future fruit. Prioritize your future fruit, not your past hurt. That's what the Lord's calling us to in this season. Your identity is not determined by your pain, your loss, or your hurts. Don't do that anymore. That's not who, that, that doesn't determine me. I went through it. I'm a different person now, but that doesn't determine who I am. It's what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's that he rose from the dead, and he's given me the divine nature. That's what determines my identity from this day forward in the name of Jesus. That's the faith we need to have in that. And when it causes us, we're just like, Lord, who do I need to forgive? This is not my priority, Lord, but I know I need to deal with some of these issues of regret and resentment and hurts. And this is what Peter says. He says this, I think it right as long as I am in the body to stir you up by the way of reminder." And I will make every effort so that you will be able at any time to recall these things. We're recalling those things that he's promised us. We're letting go of the things he's calling us to let go of. But usually it begins with forgiveness. It begins with releasing those who have betrayed you and harmed you and hurt you and took, uh, took you for, and you trusted them, but then they turned on you. Because what happens if we live in our past, we'll carry this hurt and we'll project it on the people that God wants to bless us with. And that's not good. So it's important that we learn to forgive. And as we close this morning, 
I want to, I want to just put up this last verse, Genesis 50:20. I don't know if we have a pad here we can play here, but let's close this morning. You guys doing all right? How many feel like they've been fed this morning? <laughs> and we're ready, ready to let go of what we need to let go of in this time. Genesis chapter 50. Here's Joseph. His father dies. Joseph's dealt with his heart. He's dealt with the pain. He's got his focus on the future. And suddenly his brothers make up this story. They say, they say, Brother Joe, before dad died, he said, please forgive us. Don't, don't come down hard on us. Because in the brother's mind, they still thought Joseph's going to get us once dad dies. But Joseph, when he heard that, his heart was broken. I think so many of us, like Joseph to his brothers, hurt that, that the brothers don't realize how forgiving their older brother is. And you and I, when we look to Jesus, do you know how forgiving he is towards you? Do you know how loving? And he wants you to embrace this mercy that he's given you and to live in it. Get healed of your past hurt, your past trauma, and say, God, it's time for me to step into my fruitful season. I'm going to be very fruitful in this season. In my place of darkness, in my place of hurt, I'm declaring fruitfulness. What am I doing personally? I'm increasing in these things you called me to increase in. Goodness, mercy, faith, study, and I'm growing. Because you've called me to possess these things. And if I possess these things, you've given me your promise that if I don't lack these qualities, Lord, that I won't be ineffective and unfruitful. So it's time that you and I pursue these things. And like, like Joseph, number one, who do you need to forgive today? When his brothers came in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph said this. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as there are today. What they did to arm you, God will turn it around for good. You may have thought that this was, when you did this, God can still use the evil that you've gone through today in the now for to use you to glorify him and to bring forth breakthrough. Let's stand together. Can we give God a shout of praise? He is good. I just invite some of our prayer team to come on up at this time and invite you to, if you have issues or areas that this morning you want ministry. You want have someone pray for you. Tom, can you come up today too, Tom, and your wife April, if she's here. Whitney, is that all right? Can you come up and help minister this morning? This morning, I feel like this morning that uh, we want to just lay hands on you and pray for Pastor Harold. Is that all right? Thank you, Gary. Yeah, come on up. And this morning, is there someone that you need to forgive this morning? The Bible says that when you forgive, 
You are releasing your wrath and your anger toward the people that have done you wrong. But if you hold on to that unforgiveness, it's like poison in you. It's like eating you alive. It's keeping you from being everything God's called you to be. So this morning, I want to take you through a prayer of forgiveness. Is that okay? And just go ahead and bow your head and say, Father, I choose to forgive those who have hurt me, those who have done wrong to me, those who have forgotten me, those who betrayed me, those I trusted in who let me down. I release them from my anger and wrath and from my disappointment. And I thank you for healing me today as I forgive. In Jesus' name. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, I thank you that as we have forgiven, I just break off every assignment of the enemy, every demonic assignment of the enemy over everyone in the sound of my voice right now. I just command all heaviness, all sickness to go right now in the name of Jesus. Anything tied to unforgiveness, I command it to go right now in Jesus' name. All insomnia that's been holding people back from sleeping and experiencing you in their dreams and in their sleep, every area of their life that's been shut down, their creativity, Lord, every area, their inner compass that's been shut down due to that trauma, I say, come alive, be well, be whole, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit, come. I just release your spirit right now. Fill every believer right here, right now, with your presence for the glory and for the purposes you have for each and every one of them. Some of you, I feel like, just need a personal touch today. And this is why I've asked a lot of people to come up and I, I believe there's some mother wounds, some father wounds this morning that we just need to let go of today. You don't want to carry this on. And I believe that this morning is a great time. And I just invite you now, just come out of your seats. If there is someone you just need to forgive and you need someone to pray with you, don't be shy. Don't hold back this morning. I believe that the Lord wants to bring healing and ministry to you today. And I just invite I just really would invite almost everyone right now to come. So let's, let's take this opportunity this morning and just allow God to minister to us and touch us. Understand if you have to leave, bless you, God bless you. But I would, let, I would just encourage you today, this morning, let's get the prayer and the ministry we need. We bless you. We release good and the goodness of God over you this morning. God, I thank you for what you're doing today in Jesus' name. manager of Gateway Hunger Relief Center and um, I've been about here about 14 years. This has been a blessing to me and my family to be able to serve. We need your support and the reason why we need your support is because our numbers are growing for one thing. The need is great here in Richmond. We're able to provide fresh produce and sometimes milk and just meats and everything like that and your donations really mean a lot to keep this program going. Uh, we also serve the seniors and we also make kiddo bags 
So every child gets a bag to take home that's got mac and cheese and drink and little snacks in there for them. And we just love being able to pass these things out and bless families. And if you love seeing, your, seeing families get blessed in Richmond, come donate to Gateway Hunger Relief Center. Hi, my name is JD Marker. Hi, my name is Jenny. I just love blessing the people and seeing all the smiling faces and smiling kids. I come, love coming here. It gives me something to do every day. I like to give the people God in their hearts and I like to spread the word of God around to everybody. It's been a blessing. I've been here for 14 years and I hope to do it for another 14. I don't know what I can do without them really. I'd be home doing nothing. I just love being here and helping people. I like to give out food and help people. God bless everybody. times in the Bible, God himself actually changes someone's name. We find that Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter. We find Jacob struggling with an angel and saying, what is your name? The Bible itself has over 40,000 names of persons, places. And what I've done is I've taken the 3,250 different names in the Bible and I've placed their meaning right next to the actual proper name in the scriptures. And this project has taken me five years to complete and it's called the Name Translation Bible. As a pastor, I want you to go deeper into the Word of God. And I'm giving you a tool that will save you time, save you effort, and allow you to get the greatest revelation, the deepest revelation possible as you study God's Word. We look forward to you going deeper into the Word of God through the Name Translation Bible. God bless. As I've been doing my translations, um, as you get into the King James Version, the King James Version was uh, commanded to be written in 1611 by King James, and um, it was, they, they did a, a pretty good job with the translation in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it was a little weaker, but it's a, it's a decent translation, uh, and it was redone, I believe, in like 1768. And then they redid it again in 1982, the New King James Version. Anybody read the New King James Version? Okay. And that's, a, that's, a, that's a decent version, okay? But um, 
when we go into this version, I want to look at the word spirit uh, because the, the, the King James Version translates the word spirit as ghost. Did you know that? The Holy Ghost. Now, as a translator, I will tell you this, is that that is not a legitimate translation. Now, don't get mad at somebody if they say, Holy Ghost, I don't get mad at them, but it's not accurate. That is not the way you can translate pneuma or ruach, okay? So when I, when I show you this, you can translate the word ruach or pneuma as wind, as we saw in John chapter 3. You can translate it as breath. That's a fine way to translate it. Um, you know, and, and you could say where David said, take not thy sacred breath from me. Take not thy Holy Spirit or take not thy sacred breath from me. You could translate it that way. Or you could translate it as spirit. But an unacceptable translation is ghost. You will not find the word ghost translated uh, from pneuma or ruach in any of the modern translations because it's inaccurate. Like all your modern translations will not use the word ghost. But um, today, many people still use it because of the influence of the King James. But as a translator, I would tell you that's not an acceptable translation. Why do I tell you that? Look in Matthew 14, 26. Uh, when the word ghost is used in Scripture, it brings fear. And the Spirit is not a ghost, okay? When the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the lake, they were terrified. And what did they say? It's a ghost. They didn't say in the Greek. They didn't say it's a pneuma. They didn't say that. They said it's a phantom. That's the Greek word for phantom. So if, if we were supposed to translate spirit as ghost, the Greek writers would have used the word phantom, but they didn't. Okay. And uh, one of the books I really wanted to get into your hands this year was this book. And this is a, the largest book I've ever done. It's uh, got 95 chapters and they're small chapters because as I was writing it, I decided, you know what? There's so many deep truths here that I do not want to overwhelm my readers with too much information. And this book is, uh, I want to read to you from chapter 10 today. And the title of this chapter is Behold a Son. And what this book, the premise of this book is that the Jews in the time of Jesus were expecting this figure called the Son of Man. Now, most people believe that Jesus, when he claimed to be the Son of Man, that he was actually claiming his earthly title. But when you discover in the book of Daniel, there was one like the Son of Man that came alongside of the Ancient of Days. And this, was, this idea is called the two power in heaven belief. Um, and it was 
first started about in uh, 1970, Alan Siegel, uh, a famous scholar, Jewish scholar, he began, he wrote a book called The Two Powers of Heaven, and he discussed how the early Jews understood that there was another power coming from heaven. And they understood that this was, this was not a, just a man, this was the Son of God. He was everything his father was, the eternal Son of God was coming to the planet. And this mysterious figure was revealed when Jesus arrived on the planet. And I want to just talk about chapter 10 because uh, when we look at the first son of Jacob, his name was Reuben. And Reuben is not just a great sandwich you can get in a restaurant. Reuben actually means, behold, a son, or I see a son. And I love that it's, it's the first son of Jacob. And I believe this is the first revelation we have to have when we're reading the Old Testament, that we discover that God had a son. Behold the son. And this is what this book refers to, is the appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Now, if you've uh, purchased the, the name translation, what I've done in the name translation that I think is very unique is uh, we have the words of Jesus in red, which most, a lot of Bibles have that. Okay, great. But I also put the words of Yahweh, the father of Jesus in the Old Testament and the New Testament in blue. So whenever God speaks, whenever the father speaks, you see his words in blue. Now the fascinating thing and what so many readers of the, uh, the, the name translation version, when you get it in the electronic version, you'll see the color. In the Old Testament, when Jesus shows up in the Old Testament, I put his words in purple to recognize that this is, this is that the mysterious figure of the Old Testament that's being revealed in the New Testament. And what I love to say, it's, it's, it's like a movie. If you watch a movie and during the movie, a, a very important figure shows up, but the figure's character is never completely played out or there's no resolve to the character, but when the movie's done and you think, well, what about that character in the movie? What happened to him? Where is he? What that tells you in the movie is that there is going to be a sequel. And I like to say that about the Old Testament, is that when there are some figures that are, are mentioned in the Old Testament, uh, take for instance, Melchizedek, which his name Melech means righteousness, or king, Melech means king, and um, Sadak means righteousness, so he's the king of righteousness, is revealed in a, just a few verses in Genesis, and then once again in Psalm 110. Who is this mysterious figure? Well, many scholars like myself, I believe that this is actually the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ revealing himself in the Old Testament to get us ready when he shows up, when Jesus lands on the planet and the New Testament begins to say, and this is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the other power of heaven.
everyone. I want to let you know about my newest book. It's called, Are There Two Powers in Heaven? And I've been working on this book for about the last 10 years. Many of you guys know I was in kind of a hiking accident last year. And I just took that time to really invest in writing. Uh, Killing the Devil with Ink is a good prophetic word. And uh, one of the books I really wanted to get into your hands this year was this book. And this is a the largest book I've ever done. It's uh, got 95 chapters. It, the premise of this book is that the Jews in the time of Jesus were expecting this figure called the Son of Man. Now, most people believe that Jesus, when he claimed to be the Son of Man, that he was actually claiming his earthly title. But when you discover in the book of Daniel, there was one like the Son of Man that came alongside of the Ancient of Days. And this was this idea is called the two power in heaven belief. Um, and this is what I wrote this book about is to help you see the Jesus in the Old Testament and see that he is revealed. Um, he's concealed in the old and revealed in the new. His name is hidden in the Old Testament, but is revealed in the New Testament. It is going to shift your paradigm. Uh, the people who have read it so far, they said, man, this is intriguing. I've never uh, considered understanding the Bible in this narrative. And I believe it is the narrative that the Jews had in the time of Jesus when Jesus came to the planet, including the early disciples. I believe the early disciples understood that Jesus was coming to fulfill uh, the claims of the Messiah, the claims of the Son of Man. He was coming to fulfill those very things. And he did so like a hand fits into a glove. Jesus Jesus fit into not only the prophecies, but into that very role of the Son of Man and the Messiah so completely and so thoroughly. Friend, I encourage you, go on to Amazon. The hardback is $14.99. You can download this immediately for $9.99 on Amazon Kindle and leave a review. Let me know what you think. I hope that it is a blessing to you as it has been to me. God bless. China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. So just as I say we aren't gonna let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't gonna let any injunction turn us around. Gotta pick a side, man, it's do or die. Trying to stay up in the middle, man, suicide. Be hot or be cold, what's it gonna be? Boy, be below it, it's all I wanna see. If you ain't saying nothing, then you saying something. What you see is what you get, man, I ain't never fronting. I see your problem, I'm lazy, cause I ain't never running. Opposition uh, passing it uh, off, cause uh, they ain't never wanted. Come on. Time to say goodbye, it is you and I. Whoa. When you compromise, it will multiply. We ain't never scared to put it on the line. Whoa. It's time to pick a side, it's do or die. Time to pick a side, homie, do or die. Whoa. When you compromise, it will multiply. We ain't never scared to put it on the line. Whoa. It's time to pick a side, it's do or die. Whoa. No less, no backs for me. Both middle fingers up, folks talk about G. I'm never gonna listen to his latest pitch or the scarf queen. His Dr. Brooks is a... Whoa. I'm an American with the First Amendment and the Second Amendment to defend it. Whoa. You want our guns? Well, come and take it. I hope you're good at dodging bullets and you're praying. The year 2020, the year of prohibition.
vision A time where you and I have to make a decision Open up your minds like Hunter's laptop But when you see corruption this time it's gotta stop Back to police, say no to the beast No to the mask, take no vaccine Come on. Back